What's up ninjas and ninjets and welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. In this week's episode, we are troubleshooting your digital marketing. So if you've ever set up an ad campaign, driven some traffic to your site or a landing page, only to find that it's not converting, in this episode, we'll take you through the process that you need to follow to identify where the blockages are in that campaign and make the tweaks to improve your results. While I've got you, I also wanna mention the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Mastermind group on Facebook. This is a free group that you can join uh, full of successful business owners and, and very talented marketers. And what will often happen is if people have an issue with their website or a particular marketing campaign, they'll drop it in the group, in the mastermind group on Facebook, and people will give them feedback and suggestions. Just today, I saw a, a message from someone whose website hadn't been converting at all. He just gave us an update after some of the changes that some of the mastermind members had made to his site. And I think of his last 28 website visitors, he'd had four orders. Um, so this was from a site that was converting absolutely nothing to a site which has a conversion rate of over 12%, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, granted it's small data, but that's a, that's a positive improvement. So head over to uh, Facebook and search for Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Mastermind, and we look forward to seeing you in there. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Exposure Ninja podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to troubleshoot your website and your marketing campaigns. The topic we're discussing today is is what are the processes that you should go through if your you know your website's not generating sales, if Facebook ads are not working, that kind of thing. So we're going to go through a process to find and fix any funnel blockages and how to improve your campaign. Uh, so um, the first thing that people might be wondering is, you know, how long should should we be actually waiting when we're starting a new campaign before we start to get start to panic, start to get worried, uh, and we need to actually be be tweaking things? How long should we wait? to see some results first? It really depends on the marketing channel that's being used and the, the budget as well. A couple of examples, if you've just launched a new version of your website and everything looks to be improved and you've got the same marketing channels up and running and you're used to getting sales, but within the first day, you're not getting the right number of sales or you know something's not happening, I would definitely spend some time looking into that. You know, it's, it's quite common to see a, a slight dip early on with organic visibility if you're moving to a new website. But certainly, you know, you wouldn't expect to see zero. If you're a completely brand new business and you have no historic visibility, you have no track record whatsoever, and you start running an ad campaign with a very small budget, and by the end of the first week, you're not getting any sales, that's not necessarily cause to panic. Um, it's may maybe, maybe you need to have a look at the ads and have a look at your audience and targeting. But it, it, yeah, it really depends on the the budget. If you've got a large budget and you're putting a lot of cash in, you need to be generating sales very quickly. If you're using a paid traffic source, for example, if you're using something like SEO, then obviously it's a much, much longer runway. So I wouldn't be panicking within the first few months if you're relying purely on SEO. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned, like you say, that you can have a, a dip in, in SEO kind of rankings and that sort of thing after you've launched a new website uh, which is something that you specifically mentioned in the in the last episode isn't it? in episode uh, 17 when we were t when you were talking to to Hallard and he was and he was saying about yeah launching a new website and and it has a big dip in S and can have a dip in SEO so 
yeah, if, if people are interested in that, then, then maybe go listen to that episode. One thing that I wonder, so so like you say, it, it can take it can take a while for um, for SEO to take effect, and you might be thinking in monthly and quarterly improvement that kind of thing. And another way of looking at, at the same kind of question, you know, how long should you wait before you start tweaking and things is is in terms of the the quantity of the data rather than the specific time. So I wonder if that's something you agree with. What I mean by that is, you know. In order to get sales, we're not really interested in how long it's been since the website was launched. We're interested in how many people have actually come to the website, for example. So if, you're, if your conversion rate's 100, uh, 1% and, and 100 people don't visit the website you know, for the first six months, then, then that's still, you know, you're still waiting on that one sale for, for those six months rather than, you know, if you've got 100 visitors in a day, then, then you should start be, be worrying straight away kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Perfect example. This is particularly important if there's some kind of technical issue on the site if you're getting if you've got a conservative conversion rate of one percent and you get 500 people on your website in a day and you're used to getting conversions but you're not getting you're not getting those sales then yeah definitely so yeah that's a that's a really elegant way of putting it work on the work on the volume of people coming in the data the size of the data that you have rather than the length of time yeah i mean it's it's a fantastic way of sort of judging judging ppc really because obviously you know you as your ppc budget increases then your the amount of data you're going to get increases and that might change how soon you would want to optimize something so um yeah works really well for ppc cool so that so we talked a little bit then about sort of you know how long you should wait before tweaking a campaign um, if you think that some tweaks are are necessary, what's the kind of process you should follow there? What are the first things that that you should check maybe on your website and then and then we'll look on to to things like traffic and that kind of thing afterwards? Okay, the first thing, and it seems so obvious and you know it's completely brain dead simple, but check out all of the technical elements to make sure the forms are wired up, payment processes, everything. Test it on different devices, test it in different browsers. Even, you know, we have times when we'll run a marketing campaign to a website that we've just built or that we've just edited. The client a week later says, you know, things don't seem to be right. We don't seem to be getting anything from this. And we'll have a look and it'll be like the form submissions are going to their spam folder because their spam folder is super aggressive or, you know, some, there's like some technical thing. So you absolutely have to check everything from a user's perspective. Do it on different devices. Do it on different browsers. Uh, you know, another thing that we that, that that can be quite common with something like Facebook um, ads is when we're when we're setting up a website and we're testing a website, you always test the website on you know Chrome and Internet Explorer and Safari and all of those. But no one ever really tests on the Facebook mobile browser because there's not really a, a clear way to test on it. And in analytics, you never see traffic from Facebook mobile browser, but Anybody who clicks on a link in the Facebook app on their phone, which is like pretty much everyone who clicks on Facebook ads, right, is not using any of those browsers. They're using the Facebook mobile browser that's built into the app. And this browser is buggy as hell and pretty crap. Um, so we ran a campaign for for quite a while where we were driving people to a, a sales page to, to buy a, a low front end product. And they could either pay by credit card or they could pay by PayPal. Um, we noticed we were getting a lot of credit card payments, but not many on PayPal. And that's pretty weird because you'd expect in that situation on mobile to be getting a lot of PayPal buyers. Probably the majority should have been PayPal. Um, and then someone commented on one of the ads and said, hey, you know, it's just, t- you know, it's, it's, it won't let me complete on PayPal. Now we tested this on on normal browsers, but without testing on 
Facebook, we didn't realize that actually there was a conflict in, in the Facebook mobile browser, which meant that people couldn't check out using PayPal because there was some conflict between Infusionsoft and PayPal and the Facebook mobile. You know, so we just completely missed that and we were quite rigorous in testing elsewhere. So what you can do in that sort of situation if you're running Facebook ads is good practice to send yourself the link in Messenger or whatever and just try and use your website and go through the process of completing the, the CTA in the Facebook mobile browser and, and just see if it works because there's not really, a, I, can't, I don't really know of another way to test it. Um, and it's become one of the most popular mobile browsers. So um, yeah, that's a little quick thing. So even if, you know, even if you're savvy, even if you've seen a bunch of people check out on your stuff before, if things aren't working as they should, just go through everything one last time, get your mum to do it, get other people to do it who don't really know anything about computers, just get them to test it out. Yeah, I mean, so, so you mentioned kind of mobile browsers, something definitely to check, to test out. What about things like, you know, ridiculously ancient versions of uh, of Internet Explorer that people are still using? I guess we we need to check all of those as well or? Uh, no, not really. You don't really want those people as customers. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> of course, of course, you need to test them. There's some some versions which are super buggy. So, I mean, you've obviously got to, you know, if you're driving huge traffic volumes, then you want to test every different version of every browser. If you're running some tests and you know you're spending three or four figures a month, then maybe you don't check every single iteration of Internet Explorer since Internet Explorer one. But you've got to use your judgment there. Have a look inside Analytics, see which are the most popular browsers that people are using, and then test those. Yeah, as long as you've got the most popular ones, you're going to get m- most of your traffic, then then that's all right, isn't it? And obviously, you know, you could always check in analytics if people are coming from a specific web browser and are having issues, then maybe that's an idea that you should go check that one as well. Yes, definitely. Um, so I've got a specific question. So you, so you mentioned checking payment processes. How, how would we go about doing something like that? Does that mean that we have to actually, you know, purchase a product from our website for, for each sort of different payment process? Or, or is there ways to do that without having to purchase stuff? Uh, PayPal has a sandbox setting that you can use, which basically allows you to be virtual. You know, you can test it as if it's in the wild, but you don't actually take payments. Otherwise, what you can do is just what I tend to do is just set the cost of the products to you know if you're charging like five thousand for something then just set the cost of that product to a few pounds and, and just you know test it that way you can always refund yourself as well if, if you need to but i i don't think there's any other way to do it other than to actually test by going through the buying process it's also really useful to see which pages people are going to and to check that your conversions are tracking properly and everything like that so set the cost of the thing low and actually buy it or just refund yourself or whatever Okay, cool. Uh, right, so so that's sort of some of the low hanging fruit. Check your web your website forms work. Check the pay, payment processes. Check it your website in um, in lots of different browsers as well. Um, assuming that you know your website's okay, you know there's no issues there. What's the next thing that we should be checking if we're if we're worried about our marketing campaigns? Okay, so as you said, check the traffic volume. Is the traffic volume enough that you would be expecting sales? If you know what your conversion rate has been historically, then obviously you can just you can figure out how many sales you should have had for the visitors that you've got. Um, if you don't know if it's like a completely new business, then aim for a conversion rate of 1%. And if you're not getting that, it's an indicator that maybe there's something that's not really compelling. The, the reason we're saying check the traffic first is because if you're getting 30 people onto your website a day and you're panicking after two days, well, with a 1% conversion rate, you might not have expected to convert anyone during that time. So you need to make sure that you're getting enough traffic that you'd actually expect to be getting sales. 
Yeah, exactly that. There's no, there's no real point kind of, for, you know, improving your conversion and stuff like that if if we're just if it's just not a track if, if we're just not getting the traffic in the first place. Yeah, and and it obviously depends on which channel you're using. You know, if you're getting a hundred people from a Facebook ad to claim some kind of free thing that you're giving away on a page and you're not getting any conversions from that, then that's pretty weird. You should be obviously expecting a higher conversion rate from, you know, very specific ad traffic. But if it's just talking about your website in general, then 1% is a good kind of benchmark to work from. Okay, cool. I think we, we're recording this podcast episode at a pretty good time because we've already, if people are having problems with some of the issues that we're about to mention, we've, we've got podcast episodes that specifically talk about those topics. So if, if you have an issue with traffic, then maybe you should go and listen to podcast episode number two, how to get to the top of Google. And that'll give you an idea about how you could, uh, you could improve the, uh, the traffic to your website. And another thing that we mentioned, so, so we've talked about kind of traffic from Google. What, what about traffic from, um, from ads and that sort of thing? Is, is there anything that we can be doing there? Yeah, so making sure that enough people are seeing your ads, obviously really important. So your reach, your impressions, as you'll be able to tell us, obviously, obviously absolutely key. If, if we're not getting clicks to the ads, then are the ads appealing enough? Is the audience being targeted correctly? I mean, I'm sure you've got some suggestions for how people can, what, what sort of ad visibility would people be expecting before they start seeing some sales? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, I mean, in terms of click-through rate, we want to be aiming for kind of probably in the region of kind of two to 5%, something like that. Um, if, you're, if you've got, you know, a free offer, then maybe a little bit higher. And then the other thing is to be checking checking your impressions and that kind of thing as well. So we need to make sure that we're showing it to enough people. So as well as in the same way that, you know, there's no point checking your conversions if you've only got 30 people coming to the website. There's no point checking your click-through rate if you've only shown the ad to 30 people in the first place. So um, same kind of thing, really. If you want a more in-depth look at, you know, getting traffic from Facebook advertising, then you could listen to episodes uh, six and seven, which are both about Facebook advertising. So uh, next thing, so so if we have got some traffic to the website, we're already doing that part. Um, we, we, we're hoping that it's, it's converting, but for some reason we, we've got a conversion issue. What should we be looking at on the website? Okay, the first thing is to make sure that it's actually genuine traffic because that there is so much spam traffic and fake visitors that that show up in analytics so make sure you know check the the language settings are there language settings stuff about donald trump and, and all of this stuff if it is then it's it's not legit traffic is it referral traffic from spam sites is it organic traffic using weird keywords to find you you know all of that stuff so we need to understand first how much actual traffic how many genuine people are visiting your site on that note I'm writing a I'm writing a uh, a blog a blog at the moment talking about Facebook audience network which is horrendous for for just like fake clicks that that aren't real. So if you're if you're finding that you've got a decent number of clicks in Facebook but you're not getting them any of them convert then um, you might want to read that blog post when that comes out. That sounds good. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, so check that it's legit traffic first of all and then we need to make sure that you know, what, what's happening with those people when they get on the site? So are they just bouncing straight off? So check your bounce rate in Google Analytics, check the bounce rate of each of your landing pages. So go into, I think it's behavior and then content and then landing pages, have a look at the top landing pages. These are the pages that people are coming in through. What's the bounce rate there? If it's high, then people are hitting those landing pages and just heading straight back out Then You know, they're not really engaging. They're not clicking through. So what's up there? Could it be that the message on those pages isn't really appealing? Could it be that the message doesn't match their expectations when they made the click? So does the message 
say exactly what the advert said or is it slightly different did we just try and get as many people to click on the ad as we possibly could by making it really clickbaity but the when they land on the page it's a bit disappointing so our expectations being met if you have a reasonably good bounce rate and by reasonably good bounce rate giving a giving a guide on that is is pretty difficult without knowing the traffic channel but i think we've got a we've got a blog post and and we podcast about bounce rates this is like the uh yeah, podcast episode six is uh, is the uh, bounce rate episode. Amazing. How to increase profit from your website without increasing your traffic. Proven bounce rate reduction techniques from the front line. That's a great headline. It's a pretty ca- catchy title that you came up with yeah. there, Tim. Um, or you can go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash bounce hyphen rate, and there are some guidelines on bounce rates there. But let's say that you've got a bounce rate of 40% on your landing pages. It's not a disaster at all. So then we've got to figure out what's happening, why people aren't converting. So that's... That's the kind of uh, the, the next stage. If people are bouncing on your landing pages and you can't figure out why, then by all means run some user tests to see what people are thinking when they're getting on those pages. Ask those users to try to do things on your website, like what would you, you know, what was the next thing that you would do from this page? Um, try to contact us. Try to fill in this form. So you can ask try questions to these the people that you run the user tests with. Or you can ask for their opinions. So what's this page about? Why is this pay why is this company better than their competitors? You know, asking those sorts of things can help us identify issues which might be causing people to drop off. Yeah, definitely. I mean there's there's paid services out there, aren't there, that, that do all that kind of stuff for you. You uh, ask people to check out the website and and get recordings of what they were doing. And then the other option is obviously the the ask your mum test. Yeah. See what your mum thinks when when she looks at the website. So yeah. And don't tell your mum that it's your website either, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's lovely, Tim. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what is it again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my I, you know, I love my wife for many reasons, but one of the, one of the most important reasons, you know, during the workday is that she will be completely brutal about any web page. And she's not, she, you know, she knows her way around stuff, but she's that perfect mixture of, She's just the perfect distance away from all the digital marketing stuff to be able to ask questions like, what is this business about? And if she doesn't know, she'll say, I don't know, or she's, you know, something of, of equivalent meaning, but slightly more animated language. You know, that, that that's the sort of person that you need. So someone who's reasonably computer savvy, they can click around. So they're not kind of struggling with the basic functionality of a computer, but who isn't so expert that they can read between the lines and they don't you know, maybe they don't talk marketing as their native language. So in other words, they represent the perfect typical website visitor. Um, so just, yeah, get get honest feedback from them and, and by honest, you know, show them a few different websites, show them your competitors, get them in the right frame of mind first, ask for their feedback on some general sites. Like, I'm just interested because I'm thinking about some stuff, you know, show them Amazon. So what do you think about this? Like, how easy is this to use? And then show them your competitors and then show them yours and don't tell them that it's yours. And, and you, you'll you typically get more honest feedback than if you, you know, you're sat at your computer and you say, hey, babe, come and come and check out my new website. What do you think? Then, you know, the feedback is going to be useless at best. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, so we talked about kind of bounce rate and, you know, some of the ways in which you might want to get that down. That's kind of boils down to essentially, you know, like you say, that kind of first impression that people are going to have on the website and that and that kind of thing. If, if we manage to get somebody interested enough to actually stay on the website, but they're still not converting, that's kind of a different sort of scenario, isn't it? What should we be looking at for that? 
Yeah, it's and it's a pretty common scenario. So symptoms of this would be you have a reasonably good bounce rate, so say 40 odd percent or better. You have uh, a number of pages per session. So average on average, people are visiting like two or three pages on your website. You have good time on page. So people are maybe hanging around on average for a couple of minutes or something like that, but nothing's happening, right? You're not, you're not getting any, you're not getting any sales from it. So with all the stats, we know that this traffic is reasonably qualified because people don't click around on sites that aren't relevant to them. So we know the traffic is okay. So it's just the case that usually the problem is is the call to action. And, and the thing that we're asking people to do is just nowhere near appealing enough. So there are a few potential reasons for that. Either it can be, you know, completely meaningless, like irrelevant to them. They don't really care about it. So for example, just get in contact now. Well, unless they perceive they have a, a real need and they have urgency and all of that, you know, get in contact now is, is not really strong enough or there's not enough perceived value. We might be driving them to some sort of lead magnet, which is just totally uninteresting. So we've put together a free guide and we've labeled it something super bland and we've given them absolutely no information about what's in that free guide. And then we're asking them to give us loads of information in order to get this free guide. So, you know, no one's going to do that in their right mind. So it, when you've got a CTA, you know, imagine that you're charging 50 or 100 pounds for it and you're giving it away free. That's the sort of value or the perceived value that you want to build in this. So I definitely check CTAs to make sure that people actually want to do them. Firstly, that they understand what's in the CTA. They understand why it's going to benefit them. So if it's get in contact with us, what am I going to get? What's the free consultation piece? You know, what sort of goals am I going to achieve as a result of that consultation? So free consultation isn't enough, but can you give me a, you know, can you put together a plan for me? Can you do me a meal plan or can, you know, what, whatever the thing is, whatever the outcome of the consultation that isn't just let me pitch you for an hour on the phone while you wish that you were somewhere else. So yeah, typically CTA is is the thing that's letting people down if, if they've got good user stats, but it's just not happening for them. Okay, so, so um, CTA is kind of going to be quite important when we're talking about lead generation and that kind of thing. So that that's essentially, you know, what, what you just talked about there. Um, is it slightly different when we're looking at, at e-commerce side of things? So, um, you know, we're just trying to get somebody to purchase a product from the website. We're not so, so maybe a call to action, obviously, you know, it, it is as simple as buy now. So it's not really much that we can change or, or, or is there other things that we can be doing there? Yeah, the conversion blockers for e-commerce are typically, well, firstly, there's the layout of product pages and basket pages, like making sure it's actually easy for people to use them and to navigate them, which is, you know, so obvious that we, well, I, I would say it's so obvious we don't need to address it, but still we go on sites where the product, the buy now button is like buried below the fold or it's, I was doing a deconstruction this week for curries, the electrical people. So what I've done is deconstructed curries and compared it to AO.com. And I'll stick it up on YouTube. So just search Exposure Ninja deconstructions. But it was really interesting to see how a large retailer like curries is still making some, you know, pretty, pretty weird decisions about the layout of category and product pages. So yeah, it's just... You know, no nobody gets this. Nobody gets it a hundred percent right. But making sure that your 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 product pages are easy to buy from, making sure that checkout process is smooth, making sure that when they click add to basket, then they click from the basket to go to checkout. Making sure that you're not giving them a a registration form, right? You're just sending them into the checkout process. They're just filling in their details to get the thing, and then at the end, you give them a password option if they want to create an account, right? Don't just force them to sign up for something immediately. That's just 
it's the quickest way to just bury so many of your conversions. And then making sure that there's enough value communicated across the site about why people should buy from you rather than Amazon. Because what you don't want to do is give them loads of content on your site to do a really good job of selling the products. And then they just flip open their phone and just go to Amazon and buy it for a lower price with free delivery and you know get it next day instead. So we need to make sure that there's enough value communicated on your site about why people should buy from you uh, rather than you know anywhere else. So you know that little banner that goes underneath the headline which says sorry which goes underneath the menu which says free delivery available you know next day delivery available uh 24/7 support you know what whatever your whatever the benefits of buying from your e-commerce store are but communicating those benefits and and making it so that people don't just click out to another site and try and find it somewhere else that's the most destructive thing because you're paying for that traffic you're doing a really good job of selling them on this product and then just losing them at the last hurdle yeah, I mean, so we're talking about, you know, somebody who's at the pretty much at the bottom of the funnel, aren't we at this point? So, you know, if, you, if you've gone through this, this podcast episode, and you've troubleshooted, you know, your forms are working, uh, got traffic to the website, you know, so, so people are staying on the website, they're not just immediately bouncing, and then you're still losing those customers to Amazon, that's got to be really frustrating. Yeah, and we, we had a podcast episode ages ago, this has kind of turned into the cross promotion episode, hasn't it? But we had a podcast ages ago with the guy from I can't remember the name of the company, but they do the they do the voucher codes. Yeah, that was episode twelve: increasing e-commerce sales with voucher codes, reducing cart abandonment, and selling through affiliates. Bosh. So having a some kind of exit pop up on your e-commerce site, so that if people are leaving the site and the exit pop up has a voucher code on, you can then see how many people are purchasing through that voucher code. And that will give you an indication about whether it's price or whether it's like delivery terms or something which is turning people off. Because if you get a large percentage of people buying through that voucher code, you know they were otherwise going to leave because the site wasn't doing a good enough job of, of getting them to buy. So yeah, there are ways of kind of identifying that. Also just having like live chat and if someone's on a page for a particular length of time, like a minute, then you can just have the live chat pop up that says, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Have you got any questions about this product or something? And that can be a good way to to spur conversations and to find out what the sticking points are for people. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, I mean, yeah, hopefully people don't think that we are just, you know, promoting ourselves all day long. I mean, the idea is that these are useful resources for you. So if you're having these issues, then then we've already talked about this issue in depth and, and we want to help. So that's why yeah. we're talking about our own podcast episodes. Yeah, we make no money from the podcast, so it's not, yeah, it's just fun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, right, so my, my last question, so... If we are getting conversions on the website, so um, you know we've done, we've got through this funnel, we took, we've gone, we've um, done this troubleshooting, we, and we're getting some conversions. We just want more. What what should we be doing in order to in order to scale the business and, and get more conversions? Okay, so three ways to get more conversions: uh, more traffic, increase your conversion rate, or, or get more from people when they do buy. So. The more traffic thing is is interesting. What, when we're running an AdWords campaign or when anybody's running an AdWords campaign, for example, in the first, say, month or two months, you will find a, a cost per acquisition, a CPA. So that's how much it costs you in AdWords clicks to get a sale. And once you start getting some sales, it can be tempting to scale up your AdWords campaign, you know, big. Yeah. The The, the kind of danger with that is, it's likely in the first couple of months or so that you you might be losing money on every sale that you make. It's the whole thing about, you know, we're losing money on every sale, but we make up for it in volume. What we don't want to do is scale up an unprofitable campaign. So 
we suggest to people keep your AdWords spend relatively small in the first couple of months. And then that will, that will allow you to do is to tweak your, your campaign, strip out the keywords that aren't performing well, boost the keywords that are performing well, play with different ad copy, get the campaign to a stage where you're at least break even or slightly profitable and then start scaling. And then when you scale, as I'm sure you'd agree with Facebook, you, you don't just immediately go from like 20 quid a day to 25,000 pounds a week or something. You, you, you scale, you kind yeah. of scale gradually, you monitor your ROI, make sure that you're always staying positive um, or break even, or, you know, if, you can go slightly negative if you know that your back end sales are, are kind of justifying that. You, know, you have to know your numbers if you're going to go negative on the front end, but scale in a, in a kind of careful and considered way. I mean, how, how do you feel about that from a Facebook ads perspective? Yeah, no, I would, I'd, I would agree with that. I mean, I think normally with um with a Facebook campaign that what I'm doing within the first you know few weeks, maybe the first month, depending on the size of the campaign, is rather than looking at cost per acquisition, I, I tend to be looking at cost per click. So we're looking to to reduce the cost per click. We're trying to get the ads to an audience that is that is as interested in in this ad as possible. Then you know from from kind of month one onwards is when is when I tend to start changing from from in being interested in in uh, CPC over to CPA purely on the basis that, that that way we know we know we've got that kind of interested audience to start with because we're, we're we're optimizing based on the on the clicks and then after that we can that's when we can start scaling and that kind of thing yeah that's a good shout I, I guess it's slightly different with Facebook because you're you're having to find an audience whereas um, AdWords you know that that audience is right because you're targeting the keywords that they're looking for um, yeah, I but mean, yeah. I'm sure if we asked if we asked Lizzie, I'm sure she would say that you know uh, at least part of the job that she's doing in the first month is going to be you know deleting some of the keywords that just don't work or or um, adding in new keywords that that seem like they might be effective and that kind of thing, and obviously adding in negative keywords as well is something that you can be doing in month one. So so it is, I would say it's still it's still probably about finding the audience as as well as kind of looking at the CPA, but I think, yeah, it, de- it depends on the size of the, of the campaign, really, if you're going to be doing that in month one or not. Yeah, I mean, well, definitely. I think one of the main, main things that you're doing in AdWords management is checking the search query reports and having a look and seeing what people are searching for, which is bringing up your ads. And the whole time you want to be stripping out the, the stuff that's not converting. That's how you, that's how you optimize the campaign and looking at the, the keywords that have turned into conversions that month and or that week or that day. And increasing the budget there until it until it stops making sense so yeah i guess that kind of audience refinement is that is the ongoing work with with any paid ad campaign isn't it really yeah either refining or like you say that or scaling as well finding the new audiences that kind of yeah. next another step you'd be doing so we, we talk yeah so we mentioned kind of traffic um what about um if we were scaling our business through increasing conversions what what would the steps be for that well, again, it depends on the the type of business, but one of the things that Khaled in the last, I think, two episodes ago said w- was just adding product videos on product pages, right? It's an absolute no-brainer. Again, in the AO deconstruction I was doing yesterday, they're trying to sell iPads with one picture of a front-on iPad. That's it, right? iPad Pro. So they're expecting you to buy it without seeing what it looks like from the side, without seeing any of the connectors without seeing someone show you the thing and talk you through it. It just makes absolutely no sense. So get product videos on the page. That's going to increase your e-commerce conversion rate up to 30%. 
maybe more if you if you're using very limited number of pictures at the moment if you if you're a service business then increasing the appeal of your CTAs adding CTAs at lower levels so if you're trying to book people onto a if you're trying to book people onto a consultation and you want to increase your conversion rate then consider not just changing the copy in the consultation CTA but actually adding a lower level CTA so something like download this video course or sign up for you know sign up for something which doesn't involve the person to person interaction so what that can be good for is that can be a good way to activate people who aren't yet ready they don't feel confident enough to talk to someone about having this problem that they have get solved but they just want to they're just still in the research and the information gathering stage so getting them to sign up for a video course can be really good because that's super low risk for them they're just getting something free that they can consume or sign them up to a webinar or something like that so on on our site we find that we get as many conversions for the free webinar which is like an exit pop-up as we do for the free review which is our main cta so that's useful because some of those webinar visitors the the cta at the end of the webinar is get the free review well they end up getting the free review through that they wouldn't have done it otherwise because they were they didn't feel that they were ready or they didn't understand enough about it or whatever or they didn't know us they didn't trust us enough to to do that so yeah consider adding ctas at lower levels and then having some sort of automated process to to move people up through the stages and get them to convert on something that has more commitment or is has a small amount of money attached or something like that I like what you're saying about the um, adding product videos to the website. I like that because um, I remember kind of when when unboxing videos on YouTube became a thing. I remember thinking like, "What the hell is this? Why why is this a thing that people watch?" And oh. then I re- and then I started realizing, well, actually, this is a thing that people watch because like seeing somebody physically holding the item, like knowing what connectors you get inside the box, and and you know what does it actually look like in someone's hands? It's it's like it is really kind of helps helps you to understand what that product is going to be like and see and visualize yourself kind of using it and whether or not you're going to enjoy that product so and then once i realized it was kind of more of a like informative tool rather than like something that people are watching for fun then it's just like actually this makes perfect sense this is like yeah this is awesome love them now the existence of unboxing videos proves that how most e-commerce businesses think about presenting their products is completely inadequate Right, you're totally right. Why would anybody watch an unboxing product? If they they go onto Amazon, they find a product and then they head over to YouTube and they watch an unboxing video. Why would they do that? Well, that unboxing video should be on Amazon. They should learn enough from that or I know say Amazon, any e-commerce site. When they go on your site and they see the product, they should learn enough from that page that they don't need to go anywhere else. You know, when I was deconstructing AO, I'm thinking, hold on, why how did AO decide that someone should buy an iPad Pro from their website rather than Apple's website. Why would anybody do that? Or why would they do it from AO rather than Amazon, where they know that they would get next day delivery, where they already have an account? Yeah. AO is just presenting the exact same information as Apple, but with much worse formatting, with a vastly inferior checkout process, and not so much brand recognition and trust than the actual manufacturer. So they have to compete in other ways. Why don't they have an unboxing? Why don't they have their employees reviewing? Why don't they have user reviews? Why don't they have any? Why are they not trying to sell this product? If they were in store and someone comes up to you and says, hey, can you show like I'm interested in an iPad? What would you recommend? 
That salesperson then goes through the equivalent of an unboxing video. They give loads of detail. They show, oh, and you've got this little connector at the bottom. And this is really cool because this means you can connect all of these sorts of things. And it comes with this little adapter that you can put in and then you can connect everything. There's absolutely none of that on the website. Can you imagine if uh, if that salesperson in the store did did this, did the equivalent of what's on the web page and they just start listing all the stats just like oh. it's got a this processor it's got this much ram yeah. it's got this this size screen it's just like well yeah i can see that like tell or, me tell me something about the product exactly i can see that or it's completely meaningless to you right so who reads the spec on a processor and the you know the size of the thing on an ipad People who typically know that they want an iPad, right? They don't need to read that stuff because they know, you know, they know how big it is or whatever. Yeah. The people who read that stuff are the people who don't yet know whether they need an iPad or they need something else. Uh, but the trouble is the specs given on the website are just completely, totally inadequate for that person who doesn't. So, you know, the mum or the dad or... Uh, we I tend to use old people because, you know, but old people are often as switched on as anyone else. But anybody who's unsure about what tablet they need, they go on the AO website and they can see A9X processor. What the hell does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? It says 26 pixels per inch. What, again, is that good? Is that bad? Or should I be having 200 pixels? But, you know, it's just completely meaningless data. It's almost as if it's arbitrary, like it's it's sunny in California. Like it has the same amount of meaning to someone as that just meaningless data. I just don't understand. Like, does nobody want to get this right? It just, oh mate, I got so annoyed yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I'm looking forward to watching this YouTube video now. Yeah, you're selling it to me. Sounds good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll do more because it's it's just it's appalling. It's appalling how little e-commerce businesses at, in general really try it's it's just shocking and the trouble is they're comparing themselves to each other so oh look this website doesn't have any information so we've got three lines of product description to try and sell this two thousand pound product so therefore we're doing better it's like no okay you could have an entire 10 page guide to this one product you could have two hours of video about this ipad not everybody's going to watch it but there are going to be people who watch that who wouldn't have bought from you if you didn't have it there and for the price of a camera and two hours of time for one of the people who in your company who already uses these products, it's just totally worth it. It's just a complete no brainer. So I think generally e-commerce businesses need to up their freaking game when it comes to selling from their product pages. One last thing before we, before we just move on. So like if, if you're you know that that employee that's like in that company recording those videos, you could I, I guarantee that that company can be getting somebody that is that is excited about that product so so oh, things yeah. like like if we're t- i mean if we're talking about things like like ipads and stuff there's, there's loads of people that are that are so enthusiastic about that and if you've got a video you know even if it's not the most well shot thing in the world if you've got a video that where somebody is excited to be unboxing that product and is and is just like oh wow it does this this is so cool just just that enthusiasm is going to come across and that's going to get some sales right there it's going to be a bit yeah Exactly. You don't even need like some polished salesperson. In fact, avoid the sleazy polished salesperson. Just like hands up who uses their iPad at home the most. Okay, you, right. We're going to follow you around for 24 hours and you're going to show us how you use your iPad in daily life. And then it's some totally unpolished person, you know, in their onesie at home, 
with their legs on the sofa playing on their iPad as they watch TV. I like doing this because it allows me to check, you know, what's going on with a Twitter chat and oh, look, I'm watching it. You know, okay, if, immediately there, we've got something that's infinitely better with most of the most of the product descriptions for iPads or, you know, whatever it is. And anything passion driven, great, even if it's not passion driven. So, you know, like a, a, a boring e-commerce business for widgets or something. Let's just go into a manufacturer, go into one of your clients and say, okay, so why do you use our widgets rather than anybody else's? Oh, because they're reliable, because they don't rust, right? You know, whatever. Okay, so why is that important to you? Because we build these things at the bottom of oil rigs and if they rust, it costs us millions. Okay, great. So, you know, we, we've got something there, just, just something, anything from a real person who the audience feels a connection with and they don't feel a connection because that person's polished or experienced or because they have a script, you know, just make it real. Sounds amazing. Um, yeah, We're, th- this dream website of ours is going to be amazing when we, when we have this website with like a, a bazillion videos all over it. It's going to be cool. Yeah, we should make a we should make an e-commerce business. I'm waiting for the right market. I thought I saw it with did a website review for some dude who made who sells them um, like rare Adidas shoes, and their numbers are just insane. Oh my god! And they were doing nothing, and their numbers are insane. Like there's <laughs> Adidas shoes that people just freak over, and they pay so much for them. I thought that that may be the market, but it's not. It's not really kind of scale up uh, scalable enough. I, maybe something subscription-based, maybe cat products, cat litter. I think there'd be some opportunity there because it's a painful purchase. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's something out there, but we'll do it. We'll do it someday when we have enough time. <laughs> Add that to the projects list. Yeah. Right, okay. So um, last thing then we should, um, and then we probably need to wrap this up. So we, you can also scale a business by increasing the basket size. So it's so making people purchase more items than they were going to originally any tips on on how you would do that yeah and uh, related to what we've just been talking about here's how not to do it go to ao.com and see how they sell the apple pencil with the ipads and just do the complete opposite of that um so how they do it just for for people's reference so you're on the product page and here's an accessory that you should be buying when you buy an iPad Pro, right? Because it really unlocks part of the reason why people buy iPad Pros. And what they've done is like below the fold times three, so like three scrolls down or something, they've just got a mislabeled Apple Pencil pencil. They've just got a picture of it. There's no explanation about why you might want this pretty crucial accessory. So how I'd probably do it instead would be in that product video where you're showing people how to use the thing or the unboxing. You'd also say, Oh, by the way, we also sell this other thing, which works really well with this. Like, let me show you how this all works. You know, just super organic and, and common sense. So people who bought this also bought or consider adding on or um, here's, a, here's like a pre-packaged bundle, which is something Amazon does with varying degrees of success because they'll often package like competitor products together. I'm not sure how their algorithm is is deciding how to do that, but um, offering people a, a sort of easy one-click upsell probably the best place to do this is it is it actually in the checkout itself so you can have something that says you know once once they have this product in their basket let's get these three options which they can just add in really simply and and these might be low value you know low priced options but they might have a decent profit margin and and you know making it easy for people to add those things to to their checkout when they're in that stage uh, will will increase your basket size 
Yeah, I have a pretty good example, actually. So literally yesterday I was um, I was on Amazon. It was an advert from Facebook, actually, that took me to Amazon. So they, they were showing a USB pen. Um, it was a, 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 U, a micro USB pen that works with um, with Android devices. Just like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so I had a quick, quick look. And the product that they were bundling with a micro USB pen was an adapter from micro USB to regular USB. And I was just like, this is the most useless product like ever like there is literally zero reason for me to have both of these things i would have one or the other i would never need both good job amazon that's quite interesting yeah yeah but bundled together does does work well but um yeah so sometimes i, I guess it's because it's all algorithm based so it probably goes horribly wrong behind the scenes somewhere i guess the other thing is hey it's worth a shop some people are probably going to add that and not realize that they don't need it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so it's like a five quid addition so whatever just chuck it in the basket if in doubt, offer them vitamins. Everyone needs vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the other thing as well. So you mentioned, like like you say, things things like a product page with um with frequently bought together and that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that we might be doing if we're more of a service business is um is upsells and that kind of thing. Did you have any quick tips on that? What do you mean, like upsells to a premium version of that product? Yeah, that kind of thing. So if we if we if we're a service business, then then we may be like, you know, start somebody off on a package and then say, well, actually, you know, these extras would be fantastic for you based on kind of what you told me that kind of thing. Okay, so for service businesses, kind of different, because I guess they'd be they'd be converting over the phone or by email, right? But then e commerce businesses, there are multiple ways to do upsells. So showing people a different product option, allowing people to add gift wrapping, allowing people to add personalization different delivery options right even if you offer even if you deliver next day as standard you don't have to necessarily tell people that you can say two three day delivery as standard upgrade to get free next day delivery or upgrade sorry upgrade to get next day delivery and it's like 4.99 well that's you know if you're delivering next day as standard anyway that's just pure profit so yeah there are kind of multiple places that you can add upsells and that you should add upsells um so i think that's pretty much everything for this episode um, hopefully people have found it useful and um, hopefully this might help somebody you can follow through this whole episode and um, make and get everything on your website working and go from from a, a funnel that's that's broken you're not even recording um, you're not even getting people to fill in the form correctly to getting conversions and getting upsells on there as well so yeah if you have found this episode useful obviously there's plenty of other episodes to listen to as well that may provide even more information and um, yeah if you have found the exposure in your podcast useful in general please do leave us a review in whichever uh, podcast platform you're on um, if that's itunes or stitcher or any other podcast platform out there 